Scripture today is Philippians four ten through 20. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at the last time you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know that what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragment offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. And you may be seated. Thanks for reading that, uh, Kenny. I uh, sprung that on him at the last minute, and uh, it was a good sport to read all those big, weird Greek names and stuff. Um, so, yeah, just a, that passage was Philippians uh, 4, 10 through 20, and we're going to be right back in there again in a minute. Before I dive into uh, the rest of this message, just uh, another parable from Jesus. We did this a few weeks back where we shared a parable from Jesus at the beginning. And, and it'll come into play later in the message. But Jesus once told a story of a guy that he owned some land and probably a lot of other stuff. All we know is he was a master or a lord of his uh, his property. And he had enough property to have servants. And he got ready to go out of town for a while. And so while he was gone, uh, since they didn't have E-Trade back then, where you could just put your money and invest it from wherever you are on your phone or on your laptop, since they didn't have that back then, he left money with some of his servants and asked them to invest it for him since he couldn't be investing it while he was traveling. So to one servant he gave five bags of silver and another he gave two bags and to the last one he gave one bag. Each according to their 
abilities. Well, the one with the five bags took that time that he had it and invested it wisely and earned another five bags of silver. The one with two bags did likewise and went and invested it, and he also earned two bags of silver. That last one got a little bit fearful that he would end up losing it all, and so he went and he buried it in the backyard and uh, figured it'd be safe that way. And when the master came back, they each came with what they had done. And to the first two, the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been trusted with this much, and you'll be trusted with more. And then to the last one, the guy told him, Look, I I know you're a tough guy. I know you squeeze stuff out of every dollar. I mean, you, you make them count. And so I didn't want to mess this up, so I was real careful and I just kept it safe and here it is back you didn't lose anything here it is and the master told him basically you're fired (laughs) you won't be working here anymore you're done I studied that once in in a study group at my last church years ago when I first got there and I remember there was an older gentleman uh, there's one of his type everywhere you go. <laughs> we're kind of one of those guys. He's a nice guy, but just kind of funny. And, and we were studying this story, and he said in the middle of our Bible study, well, you know, I think that last guy had it right. <laughs> we were like, you're going to argue with Jesus? I mean, really? <laughs> it's Jesus' story. He can have it in however he wants to. You can't argue with him about it. <laughs> he thought that the other guy was right. That was cracking me. That just cracked me up. But we have this story of three guys, and they each have something to invest. And they represent, uh, you know, we could talk about this from a spiritual angle only, uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about money today. And the topic is contentment and generosity. Money management today is a tricky thing. I mean, who knows what to do with our money anymore, right? I mean, there was a day where you felt kind of safe investing it in certain places. Uh, Nowadays, you know, not so much, perhaps. It feels like I'm a little bit in the monitor, and uh, we didn't, we redid a lot of stuff with our sound system this week, and uh, didn't test the, this one. So, that's, that's my fault, but uh, anyway, it sounds like I'm in here, and maybe that's part of the problem. But, Anyway, money management is what we were talking about. And, you know, there's a, the generation that has been retired lately, you know, they, they kind of set this example that looked really good for us, right? And, you know, they kind of cashed in their chips when they hit 65. They bought the Winnebago. And then they headed out, you know, and saw America and did all that fun stuff. And, uh, you know, some of you are getting to embark on the whole retirement thing or you've been there for a little while. Those of us in my generation and adjacent generations, we're kind of looking at this whole thing like, are we going to get to retire at some point, really? I mean, we, we have no idea. And, wh- and where do you invest your money nowadays to, to even go about getting there? I mean, it doesn't seem like the government doesn't seem like a safe bet. The, the uh, mutual fund stock market thing doesn't seem like a safe bet. Real estate doesn't seem like a safe bet. There are no more safe bets, it seems like. And so, boy, I mean, who really feels content anymore? 
I mean, who, who feels like, well, I've got enough saved now. Don't have to worry about it anymore. Going to coast on into retirement. This will be great. We all are kind of nervous about, is this going to be enough for my retirement? Is, is this going to be enough? And so contentment is kind of hard to come by nowadays. On the flip side of that, because we're so concerned about, is this going to be enough? Are we, do we have enough? It's also hard to be generous. How can we be generous when we're fi- constantly feeling the pressure to get more, to hopefully feel secure? Well, lucky you came today. <laughs> we're going to see what Paul has to say about contentment and about generosity. We're continuing, actually finishing a series today that we've been in for the last few weeks, most of the month of November, and it's been on this book of the Bible, Philippians. And this is one book of many in the Bible, and in fact, it is not just, it is, well, it wasn't originally a book at all, it was just a letter. It was a letter sent from the Apostle Paul to a church he had founded in the city of Philippi. At the time that it was written, we believe the Apostle Paul was under house arrest in Rome, and he sent this letter across, you know, there's the the Italian peninsula where Rome is and then the next one over is what we call Greece now and on that peninsula was located this town of Philippi. So he sent this letter to the Philippians and he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to say thank you for gifts they had given to him and we're going to look at that some specifically today. And he had some words of encouragement for their faith. We've been looking at those over the last few weeks. So far, we've been challenged to make the gospel our priority. Paul's also challenged us to take on the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, a humble attitude. We've talked about the motives of our faith, and are we motivated by fear, and therefore we do good works to try and be good enough somehow, or are we motivated by love, and we do good things out of a desire to be in a right relationship with God. We also uh, most recently looked at how we can put the truth that we hear from God into actual practice. The doing of believing. On Thanksgiving Day, I couldn't hardly talk. So it's a miracle that I'm here today singing and preaching. I was down. I was a little nervous on Thursday. I was two days, three days, but making it better than I'd hoped. So, Uh, so today we tackle this last half of the last chapter of the book of Philippians. I hope you've come to like this book. I hope it's one that you'll uh, keep handy in your life when you come upon things in life. This is a book that holds a lot of. Uh, good encouraging words on how to take joy in difficult circumstances on how to uh, overcome worry and anxiousness how to be generous and content at the same time as we're going to study today so if you've got it open to where we just were reading from (coughs) sorry you can look at verse 10 verse 10 leaves you feeling a little bit 
awkward, I guess, for the Philippians because, you know, it seems like he's kind of criticizing them, you know. Like, why did it take you so long to give me a gift? It says, you've renewed your concern for me. And then he kind of clarifies it. Well, it's not that you weren't concerned before, it's just you didn't have the opportunity to give it, to show it. The translation here is a little bit rough around the edges, um, but Bible scholars say that they really feel like this is just Paul saying, thank you, and I know you didn't have the opportunity to do this before, but you found a way now, uh, sending this with Epaphroditus, and I thank you. So it's not quite as weird as it feels. If you mosey on down to verse 12... He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in each and every situation. (laughs) Wow. He's learned the secret. In verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The secret of happiness and satisfaction and contentment is found in Christ, not in circumstances. That's the secret. Most of us try to find our contentment in our circumstances, in our stuff. It can't be found there. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I have found the secret. It's through Christ. It's through Him. It's not through my stuff or what I have or whether I have plenty or just enough or barely enough or what. And I'd like to spend just a moment here on verse 13 as we kind of work our way through this because I feel like this is a verse that's very popular. You hear it all over the place. Uh, You'll hear athletes say, boy, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You hear entertainers receiving awards and they say, I just want to thank God. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can uh, hear just about anybody talking about that verse that, uh, you know, especially if they're a Christian and they are in some sort of thing where they get any kind of recognition, this is a verse people like to use. And I think that their goal is to point people to Christ and to say, hey, I give God the credit for this. And that is a, a good reason. But along that, as that happens, this verse gets pulled kind of way out of context. And so then a lot of us you know, and I think probably a lot of kids go around after they hear that thinking, wow, I could be in the NFL through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> you know, And that's not the point, really. And so let's talk about what is the point of this verse 13. And first, we just have to consider the context. He says, right before that, that he's learned to get along even if he has nothing or if he has plenty. Because he can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So, both of those situations, whether you have not enough or whether you have too much, can be a stumbling block for your faith. In fact, you can make the argument that having more than enough is more of a stumbling block for our faith than not having enough. And Jesus seemed to make that pretty clear when he would talk about how it's the poor who will inherit the kingdom and it's the rich who will have a harder time than a camel camel passing through the eye of a needle to get into the kingdom. And so that sometimes messes with our what we would, might assume to be true. But in God's kingdom, everything's kind of upside down. And so it's just backwards like that. 
So, you know, Paul's saying, whether I don't have enough to make it through this day, if, I, if that's the case, then I'll rely on Christ who gives me strength. And if I have too much and I start to think, boy, I've got this without God, I'll rely on Christ who is my strength. And he'll uphold my faith. And this is the point of that verse. Is that we can keep on keeping on in the faith. No matter our circumstances. Because it is Christ who gives us strength. If you become an NFL player, more power to you. And we'd appreciate it if you'd give God the glory. But uh, the point of this verse, let's remember, is that when we fall on tough times... Or a little bit too good at times. It's Christ who is our strength. And he can help us hold the faith. Skip on down to verse 14 then. It's the next one. After all that talk about contentment. Paul says. Yet. But. It was good of you to share in my troubles. This reveals that even though. Believers can make it through anything. By the strength of Christ. It doesn't mean that they should have to. And doesn't mean that we shouldn't help them out when they fall on hard times. This is not an excuse to say, oh, well, Christ will be their strength. <laughs> no, we can help them out too. When we've got a little something extra, we can help out someone who doesn't have enough. Then he talks about a few um, personal things. And then down around um, verse 18, let's look at that for now. He says, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. This is imagery that Paul uses from time to time, and it's Jewish imagery because. Uh, they would offer sacrifices and in the Old Testament you read about those burnt offerings being a pleasant aroma to God and here uh, Paul's saying that their offering was a pleasing aroma to God and I think it's worth noting here that our generosity when we're generous that's an act of worship that's an offering to God when we give that is something that pleases him. It's like a pleasing aroma. In verse 19. I feel like this is kind of the verse that sticks everything together. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. This one verse really frees us to be content in our circumstances and generous with what we have. For who is richer than our God? And if we lose everything in service to the gospel, will he not care for our needs? See, this passage that we've just looked through, and so many others like it, they describe... God's economy, how God's economy works. Sometimes we don't think about God having an economy. And honestly, I think it's a shame that so many of us know a lot more about the American economy and the world economy than we know about God's economy and how it works. 
and we who are called to be citizens first and foremost in God's kingdom, we need to understand that God's economy works different than the economy we've grown up knowing here on earth. So let's talk about a few things that are unique about God's economy. First thing about God's economy is that everything is God's. <laughs> that kind of is, is a starting place for us. Everything is God's. Another thing to note about God's economy is that everything's His and He's left us in charge, with the charge of being wise stewards. That's a word, you could interchange it with manager or advisor, investment, you know, an investment strategist, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're managers, investors, stewards of God's wealth. And another point we could say about God's economy is he's made it really clear he prefers a growth strategy to a risk management strategy. Okay, that's, uh, that's money talk. So if you ever watch you know, the, the money news channels or anything, CNBC or whatever they are, you know, uh, then that might sound familiar to you. If, you. if not, or you never took economics, then that might sound kind of weird. But we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. But God prefers a growth strategy to a risk management strategy. And the last thing that, uh, well, not the last thing, next to the last thing, is how we choose to manage his wealth determines what kind of dividends are put into our account in heaven, in his kingdom. So how we choose to manage his wealth here affects the dividends that are put into our account there. And the last thing is wise kingdom risks that are taken come with God's own version of security. You know, like when you go into the bank and it says FDIC, it's got the little sticker there, and you go, whew. <laughs> we don't even notice anymore. But once upon a time, people went, whew, because that meant that the government had the banks back. And if something went wrong with the bank, then the government was insuring it that your account would be all right. And that kind of all came into play after the Great Depression stuff, you know, with, with all that. And so people, things got shored up a little bit. And well, God's, you know, kind of like we said a minute ago, if this verse that says, God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. Well, if we're being wise investors of God's money, then he's going to make sure that we are insured. All right? He's going to make sure our needs are met if we are being wise stewards of his money. It's an important if. Because right? if, if we're just living however we want, and then we get mad at God for, hey, why aren't you bailing me out? Okay. Now those are just a few principles. It's not like we have this thing completely figured out. All right? Because this is God we're talking about, and if anyone tells you they've got it completely figured out, they're fooling you. Uh, come on back to Cypress Street where we'll be honest with you about we don't have it all figured out. There's a statement on your card this week kind of ties all these principles together. 
gets us down to the crux of what this message is about and how contentment and generosity play out with one another. And here's the deal. Do I view myself as the owner or the steward of my wealth? See, it's a lot easier to be content when you realize that none of it's yours anyway. And while the rest of this world, you know, they're going to stay busy running around trying to amass as much wealth as they can so they can die and lose it all. But we have a different perspective. None of it's ours anyhow. And we're just stewards, managers, investors of God's wealth. So instead we can just sit back and say, well, what is... What's God wanting me to do with what he's entrusted to me for right now? Be that much or be that little. (laughs) Whatever he's entrusted to you right now, whether it's, boy, I'm barely scraping by, or whether it's, you know, what am I going to do with all this money? (laughs) Wouldn't we all like to have that problem? But whether it's much or whether it's little, we just ask, what does God want us to do with what he's given us. And that'll change as you go through life. Most of you have experienced that in your own way. You went through seasons where you had hardly nothing. You were scraping together pennies. And then you had seasons where you had a little bit of elbow room. And a little bit of wiggle room. And so uh, I mean, even just in our short marriage. Julie and I have had times where we felt like we were doing good to tithe our 10%. That we felt like God has asked us to do as just an acknowledgement of you know, that it's all his in the first place and kind of our responsibility. And then there's been times where we've been able to be really generous on top of that. And then there's been times in between, you know, where we're a little bit generous on top of that. And so we go through these different seasons of life. But, you know, and it is easier to be content when you think of it as all his. But be careful I think a trap that we fall into when we talk about contentment, if you, if you really strive after that whole contentment thing, it's easy to take the next step and say, well, since it's all God's anyways, and since he's going to take care of me, then I'm just going to be kind of content. And suddenly contentment becomes complacent. <laughs> and and you, those we don't want to mix up, because complacent is not at all what Paul's talking about here. In fact, could you find a less complacent person than the Apostle Paul? I mean, that guy was always up to something, it seemed like. If he wasn't in prison, he was traveling somewhere, planting the church somewhere, doing something. And so, clearly, he's not talking about being complacent and saying, well, I've got all I need, so I'm just going to kick back, play some board games, read a book. So we don't want to do that. But, uh, you know, I think generosity helps with this. It helps safeguard against complacency. And generosity, you know, if you, if, you're an, if you view yourself as the owner, then generosity is just kind of like philanthropy. You know, that's what 
you hear, oh, that guy's a big philanthropist, you know, like Bill Gates, big philanthropist. He puts billions of dollars into philanthropy. And that's just his, that's a fancy word that you get to use if you're rich. <laughs> you get to be a philanthropist. But uh, really, you know, that is, that does a lot of good sometimes, but a lot of times it seems like it's as much about a tax break or a, um, you know, they get to put their name on it and they get to be known as the philanthropist, you know. Not that it doesn't do any good, not that we're not gracious for philanthropists, but for generosity for a kingdom steward is actually an investment growth strategy. We're not just dodging taxes or something here. We're, this is actually our investment strategy. Generosity is. In, uh, in that passage that Paul was talking about, there's this part where he says, you know, he's thanking them for their gift. And he says, not that I want more gifts. I'm just looking for what will be credited to your account. And that's actually a... I've been told, I read, because I read, believe it or not, in preparation. And what I read was that that, uh, that was actually a metaphor, like a commerce metaphor of Paul's day that would refer to when interest was accrued, it would then be deposited into someone else's account. You know, and then when that took place, that's kind of what Paul was referring to here. And he's saying that I want the, the gifts that you're giving to me as they accrue interest, I want that credit to be given to your account. So it's kind of just a way of saying, uh, as, you, as you're generous and as you give, it'll be credited to your account. Now that doesn't necessarily mean into your Chase account, but into your kingdom account. Kind of, it reminds me of what Jesus said about store up your treasures in heaven. Instead of on earth, because the stuff here is temporary, the stuff there is permanent. Here's the deal. Owners are too consumed with assessing personal risk. You know, if we view ourselves as the owners of our own wealth, we're too consumed with assessing risk and reward to ever really be content or generous. But stewards who serve a God who favors uh, growth strategy over a risk man- management strategy, they experience the freedom of assessing potential. And this sense of freedom brings with it great contentment and generosity. Think about this. Think about your retirement strategy, if you have one. You know, that when we started a, a Roth IRA a few years back, what, what we learned is that they recommend for you to start out with high-risk stuff, because that's the stuff that pays the most interest if all goes well. (laughs) So they say, hey, you're young. First, you want to start investing in that. And then as you get older, we'll start putting it in safer things. And then when you get really close to retirement, we're going to just put it in the safest investments, you know, CDs, things like that that don't earn much interest at all nowadays. Uh, But you don't have to worry about it just evaporating in the stock market. All right, so it moves from a growth strategy to a risk management strategy as you get older. But if we view ourselves as managing God's wealth, consider that God isn't planning on retiring. 
He's not getting older. He doesn't plan on moving to a risk management strategy anytime soon. He's into a growth strategy. And the kind of growth that he's looking for in, in kingdom, a good kingdom investment is different than the kind of investments we tend to think of here and that we make for our retirement. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying you shouldn't invest for your retirement, please do. But <laughs> when we're generous, we're making kingdom investments. And investing in God's kingdom, you know, the, in God's kingdom, in his economy, an investment in giving to the poor reaps a better return than a mutual fund does. And in God's kingdom, investing in the gospel here and around the world is a way better rate of return than real estate or any other investment you could dream of. See, I can stress over how to keep up with the Joneses, how to maintain all the luxuries that our society says our necessities and you could name a few couldn't you things that we call necessities or at least a lot of people do but really are just luxuries or I can take a radical step of faith and believe that since my ultimate and long term citizenship is in God's kingdom it would be wiser for me to invest in that economy than in this one. What will this look like in your life? I want to give you two challenges. I only have one on the screen, but that's okay. And this will fill out the rest of your blanks. Find a bad investment to get rid of. And again, I don't mean by bad investment something that's not uh, you know, having a good enough rate of return. I'm not qualified to give you advice on your mutual funds. <laughs> not here to do that. By bad investment, I mean something that you don't actually need that's sucking up the money or the time that you would otherwise be able to give towards a kingdom investment. Stuff that is of little to no worth when you really sit down and look at it from the light of a steward of God's money instead of an owner of your money. And the second thing is find a good investment to make. These can be large, these can be small. But perhaps you can find one thing that is of no worth to get rid of, even if it's something small, like a candy bar a day or whatever it is. It could be that small. Or uh, a good investment to make. It could be a, a small one, it could be a large one, it could be a recurring thing like a monthly thing that you're going to start giving to or it could be a one time gift 
but make a kingdom investment this week. Invest in, by giving to the poor or by giving to promote the gospel. And don't just do this this week, but begin to think this way. And I love that this church, Cypress Street Church of God, gets this more than a lot of churches do. And that's evident by uh, just even if you only wanted to take one thing, just the faith promise giving around here would show you that there's a lot of folks in this church that get it on kingdom investment. Because there aren't that many churches of this size that have that kind of faith promise budget and get to do the kinds of things that we do for missions around the world and uh, even nearer to home. Things that we get to help out with throughout the year. And uh, I believe, and I think Paul believes, that you guys are making wise kingdom investments when you do that. And you're accruing interest in another account that has more long-term value than our accounts here. The band's going to come back up. We're going to play one more song. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much that your ways confound the world's ways. What makes sense in this world doesn't seem to make any sense in your world. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that. We're going to need the Holy Spirit's help to really wrap our minds around this because we've grown up in a world where it's all about amassing more, amassing more, getting more, saving more, spending more. And you say, it's not about that at all. You say, invest wisely my money and I will take care of your every need and you will store up treasures in heaven. God, that's a radical concept. And I pray that you would help us to get it. Holy Spirit, help us to transform the way that we see our lives and our wealth and our time so that we become excellent kingdom stewards. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.